This is the John Oakley Show podcast. The province is going through all kinds of tribulations these days, as we full well know, uh, with the teachers and the education system. And so to that point, uh, let's pick it up with our friend Conrad Black, weighing in, author, commentator, and historian. Good afternoon, Conrad. Good afternoon, John. You know, we didn't have an occasion to speak last week, and I'm sorry I missed you, because uh, you did have a column that you put in the uh, the post, and I cribbed one of the uh, early lines where you say, the whole public teaching and school administration apparatus is possibly the greatest and most universal public policy failing in modern Western civilization. Ooh, that's pretty harsh, Conrad. Explain. Well, you know, I, I, I didn't just shoot from the hip. I'm, I, I know people in different countries, and at different times I've done a fair bit of research in this. I mean, for example, the brother of my son-in-law is a Frenchman. I mean, my daughter's husband's brother. And, and in, in the Department of Education there, and I speak with him, and I, I certainly have a lot of informants about how things work in the United States as well as throughout this country and in the U.K., and, and other places. And in general, uh, I, we have the, the same problem in different degrees. We spend more and more to get less and less well-educated graduates. And it, it's just terribly frustrating. And we, we've got it wrong. I don't think it's malice. I don't think it's stupidity. It's just we, we embarked on mistaken policies and, and more or less uh, in parallel, simultaneously, all of these advanced Western countries. Uh, you know, prosperous, flourishing democracies filled with generally intelligent and decent, law-abiding, hard-working people, and and it, it's the same everywhere. And you get uh, you get the steady shrinking of the public sector, the state school system, as people put their young people, their children, and, and adolescents in. Uh, some form of private school, whether it's charter schools or the separate school system or whatever it is. And and in general, those results are better. And, uh, you know, from what I've seen of the way the teachers' unions uh, react to these developments in here in Ontario, but in many other jurisdictions in Canada and elsewhere, they're, they're just linking arms and repelling borders and trying to turn it into a normal industrial union environment where you have absolutely defined tasks and you're advanced in the basis of seniority. There is no meritocratic testing. Uh, and, and, and it's them and us between the management and themselves. Now, I don't think the educational administrators are, are, are blameless in this at all. And I think there are too many of them. Uh, and um, the reason I wasn't with you a week ago is I was out west. I had a couple of speeches to give, very agreeable occasions. I may say it's not as if it was an unpleasant thing in Calgary and in Vancouver. And, and then, uh, and then I, but I was back here and had a debate with Jean Charest, the former premier of Quebec, on Wednesday night in uh, here in Toronto. And uh, at the end of that one, a, a lady who was a psychological counselor in one of the one of the public schools, high schools, uh, came up to me, and we had quite a talk. And she said, well, we need more money. And I said, well, of course you do, but there is no more money. This province is overtaxed now. It has a colossal education budget, and there is no more money. And, uh, and there's no point agitating for more money. And, and what we need to do is you know, go back to the drawing boards. And I, I think the administration is inefficient, but uh, I think the teachers, the good teachers, are being demoralized by unionistic work practices. And, and the unions themselves are greedy and irresponsible. You can't be a, a learned profession equivalent to a doctor or an architect or 
of a serious clergyman. I don't mean a quack. I mean a seriously you know, qualified clergyman uh, or a lawyer, and 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 go on strike all the time, and do it always saying that you're doing it for the benefit of the students that you're locking out of their schools. I mean, it won't fly. All right. By the way, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that last statement would get challenged that they don't go on strike all the time, but certainly they threaten it. That sort of Damocles. Well, and they have rotating strikes, right. and they're holding it like a Damoclean sword over the head of the parents. And a huge number of these households the kids come from are are working parents or single parents who work, and and uh, you know, it's blackmail for them. You know, what are they going to do with the ten year old kid if the school isn't open? Conrad Black is with us. By the way, when you mentioned going back to the drawing board. What does that mean, Conrad? Because, you know, if Doug Ford is going to hold firm and fast, and uh, he signaled as much earlier today uh, when he suggested that, in fact, uh, you know, he's fed up with where this is going or the intransigence of the unions. Give a listen to this. Premier Doug Ford says there's only so long his patience will last with the head of the unions, but didn't say exactly what would happen next. He says he's not taking issue with frontline teachers. I support you. We have some great, hardworking men and women that show up every day. I totally disagree with the head of the union. You know, we're treating them fairly. Uh, we aren't budging on that 1%. The government passed legislation last year capping salary increases for public sector workers at 1% for the next three years. Teachers unions say that's unconstitutional. They're looking for around 2%, but stress the focus of their job action isn't compensation. It's about the students, quality of education, and class sizes. Tina Trajani, Global News. All right, uh, again with Conrad Black. So uh, going back to the drawing board, is there any way to put the genie back in the bottle? I mean, or do you think the end game may be more competition and choice for parents in the education system? I think a combination. I think we should make a serious effort at streamlining the school administration system. It looks like it's starting to look like the CBC. They're just, as they say in in the army, there aren't enough trigger pullers. You know, we got too many people on the payroll without enough people being out there actually doing the job of a soldier. In this case, a teacher. There's too many administrators and so forth. And and and. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, as I, I mentioned, the CBC because they kept shrinking on-air personnel and the creative personnel, but the, the the people running the administration and seeing to the meticulous deficit of well over a billion dollars every year, they don't ever shrink either in number or in pay packet. Well, uh, I think we've got a bit of that in the education system. I'm not so hung up on small classes. I, if the teacher's good and is dedicated, the classes can be reasonably large. And, and uh, I, I think that's just another uh, yardstick the teachers are employing to try and get more money for less work. You know, they get three months paid vacation. They don't have a long work week unless they want to voluntarily uh, really be helpful to students out of hours. And, and uh, I, I, you know, I want to treat them as a learned profession, but they have to behave as one. And, uh, and, and I, think, I don't think you can do that. If, if, if with the present unionized structure, but I think you can approach it in, in different ways. You can encourage uh, private schools of one kind or another, and 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 at the same time, you can require the re uh, you know the the reinsertion of a meritocratic standard in rating these teachers. I, I mentioned in that piece that you kindly referred to that uh, when the testing methods showed a couple of years ago that the, the actual uh, uh, level of education of graduates declined from one year to the next. They, 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 they didn't say, well, we've got to do things better or differently. So they said, let's abolish testing. 
Again, with Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. Uh, so if the end game is that the government may look to reform the system with more competition and choice, have money follow the child, you know, a voucher or a charter school system, uh, do you think that's even still doable in the province of Ontario? I do. I think it is. I think there's an argument to be made for, at this stage, combining the separate and public systems as long as uh, all parents get what they want within reason on the, on, in terms of religious instruction. And... Uh, and um, look, I, most of your viewers or many of them wouldn't have read the piece you're referring to. I did mention the case in Quebec in 1967 when I had a, quote, job, end quote, <laughs> chiefly consisted of going to the bar in the Quebec Pavilion of the World's Fair and asking for a drink for the premier, and I'd take one for myself. But um, uh, at that time, the premier of Quebec, Mr. Johnson, faced a... a strike from the majority of the, virtually all the French language school teachers in the island of Montreal. And, and he, he, or, he produced a back-to-work order uh, and, 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 you know, had draconian remedies, the detention of the union leaders and the, the uh, impoundment of their assets and their decertification of if 95% of the teachers weren't back to work, 90%, I think. And, and, um, uh, and the, but when asked at his press conference what he would do if, despite that, they didn't go back to work, he said, "Well, we'll put a policeman and a closed-circuit television apparatus in every classroom." And the minister of education, Bertrand, who was the subsequent premier, and his deputy minister will will read the lessons and will rebate ten thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was playing hardball. Dollars a week to the taxpayers of Montreal. I mean, it was he wasn't altogether serious, but it was an amusing idea. Well, there you go. I mean, it was a premier who was showing some gumption. Finally, got to ask you, uh, Barack Obama was in town yesterday, and uh, he was addressing 6,000 young people at the Metro Convention Center. What was interesting, though, is uh, he was citing Greta Thunberg as being somebody exemplary and authentic. He was dwelling on the term uh, authenticity, I guess, you know, because uh, maybe he's suggesting through sort of uh, subtle means that Donald Trump is less than. But Greta Thunberg, I guess, uh, you know, you'd have to ask the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, because uh, out of Davos, he was suggest- saying that maybe she ought to get an economics degree and then she can come back and start preaching to all of us. Uh, what did you make of that comment? Uh, well, I, I I wasn't aware until you mentioned it that Obama was here. I would be one of the last people in this country that would be invited to an event of his. <laughs> I think he was one of the most incompetent presidents since before the Civil War. But the, um, uh, I, I think it was a great thing that they had a non-white president. I just wish he'd been a better president. Uh, but the, the, the Thunberg is, look, I can't fault a student who's as enterprising as that. She's on to a good thing, but it's a complete fraud. It's a, it's a sort of modern, bloodless Joan of Arc operation with this, you know, basically you know, inexperienced young lady sails around the world because airplanes are too consumptive of energy and scolds all of the people older than herself for ruining the planet. We haven't ruined the planet's in better condition than it's ever been. You know, the poverty levels are lower. The economy everywhere in the world or virtually everywhere is 
is growing steadily. I mean, every year in, in developing countries, including China and India, tens of millions of people are pulled upwards out of poverty. We, we're not on uh, in remotely on the verge of a world conflict between the great powers. And uh, But is it sustainable? They're saying that, you know, we're going to perish if we don't think, uh, turn things yeah, up. They've been saying that for a long time. But Malta said in 1798 the world couldn't couldn't hold more than 45 million people, you know, more, you know, and, and there were, there were, there were only, there weren't 10% of the people in the world then that there are now. I mean, this is, if you cry fear like that, some people will always listen to you, but she's just being shunted around and manipulated by, by the dwindling uh, fear lobby in the environment industry. I mean, look, let's just remember what's happened here. In the, la- in the last few years, the Americans have said, no dice, we're not buying it. As a country, they, Obama never could present any of his green nonsense to the Senate because he could never get it approved. So he just made executive agreements that didn't amount to anything when the presidency changed. It didn't have to be Trump. It could have been anyone. But uh, the, the, the Americans are not buying the green terror. Uh, the Australians had a clear choice in the last election. They rejected it. The chief meteorologist of Japan came out of the cupboard a couple of months ago and said, we don't have the faintest idea about climate change. That's the third economy in the world. Ever. But Conrad, what about all those captains of industry at Davos who apparently had signed on to the project? Uh, if we're talking about a trillion trees, everybody likes trees. But if, if we're talking about signing on to the whole global warming thing, you, uh, look, we always have a lot of limousine liberals. Uh, the, the, as I wrote in my piece for tomorrow's uh, uh, National Post, it's, on, it's, on, it's up now, it's online now. Uh, you know, I took the blind from Lenin, you know, the capitalists are so stupid, they'll sell us the rope we hang them with. I mean, there are always a lot of dumb businessmen who want to get onto the onto the faddish bandwagon. It's like these rich Hollywood people who like, charter plans to take them up to look at the oil sands, but don't even pay the minimum wage to the illegal immigrants who roll their tennis courts in Bel Air. I mean, there are a lot of dumb businessmen when it comes to politics. Remember, Franklin Delano Roosevelt saved the capitalist system, which had collapsed completely when he was inaugurated, and 80% of businessmen called him a communist. Well, yeah, it, with the the whole New Deal, uh, that was back in the 30s, 32. Don't, I, don't bet the ranch on the business acumen, uh, the political acumen of the business community. All right, uh, I'll take that as sage advice, and uh, we'll talk again real soon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for not mentioning impeachment. If you'd done that, I might, I might have, uh, I might have uh, uh, offended current public standards of what is acceptable <laughs> talk in a public place. Well, there's still time because I'm sure this will be dragging on into next Friday, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think it'll become a, a more obviously a complete fiasco from the Democrat standpoint each week. Though, but I'll, we'll, I, whatever it is, John, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. You got that. Ditto, uh, Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. Oakley Show Global News Radio, six forty, Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.